Another trip back to 1979, this time to hear from my dad, give a message to the Presbyterian Church on a Bible study on perspectives on death. DaleWileyShow.com Because there was something in the water in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, don't forget me. I'm Brenda Lee, and we're all going to have fun tonight on Oh God Jubilee! the Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfoot Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. Your home, your house, and yet it's not this building. It's in the gathering of your people together. Because we are your temple. We are the home of your Holy Spirit. And collectively, we can grow in that relationship. We ask this night that as we look very practically at some of the aspects that surround our death situations that face us in life, that we might look at it as a part of the way in which we can minister to one another's needs in very practical ways. We thank you for those who are able to help us in those situations. ask you to be with us this night. May we learn much. May we approach this with an open and sensitive mind. In Jesus' name, amen. We got uh, a questionnaire last week that if anybody did not get, I have copies of it around somewhere. I have acquired a multitude of resources in a very short period of time. And it's amazing, the, the more that I get and mention it to people, the more resources I find that are available. And yet, for most people, they're not aware of the number of things that are available for them to, to help them in death situations. I'd like to start you out tonight let me tell you what we had originally planned, and that was Bob Conrad was going to come and share with you some of the things that are happening over at school. Unfortunately, he had a, a problem come up, called me last night and let me know today, the final result, was that he would not be able to be here. And I was in touch with Bob today in order to get him, oh, a couple of weeks down the road, whenever he could do a part of what he does already at the school. In fact, what Bob Conrad does is he gets me to come over on the theological aspects of death, he gets Bob to come over for the legal aspects of, of the death situation, and then he gets uh, Gary to come over for some of the more practical aspects involved with funeral. And so among the four of us, we pool all of our ignorance and do a fairly good job of confusing the kids, or something like that. And it, huh? Who, Bob Conrad? He's a teacher, and uh, he's teaching, I think it's in a health class, isn't it, Bob? Or... Uh, I'm not sure what the class is myself, to tell you the truth. He just said hygiene, health and hygiene, something like that. But at any rate, he uh, asked us to join with him. That's, uh, you know, that's a service to the school, and we're glad to do it. We found out where we were last week with this little green survey that I told you about. And Bob, since you weren't here, I'll... Anybody not get one beside that? 
Okay, I'll get you one. And tonight, just out of curiosity, how much do you know about wills? And I've got a little true-false questionnaire here that you can uh, you can take right quickly. And then I'm just going to flat turn this thing over to Bob and let him make a little presentation, which we have a little something to share with you. And then uh, it'll be question time. Okay, well, I'll just let you do that. Hello, Aunt Mary Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying hello to Aunt Mary Catherine on my face. <laughs> and everybody else. And I can't make it, but please take it. So. Marvin, are you out, Catherine? You want to go more out? standpoint when you think of death and dying you think of wills and probate and that's what I'm generally expected to speak on when we get into that subject. I'll talk on anything that you want, answer any questions you have. It's hard to condense this into a relatively short presentation but I know we need to make it fairly brief and yet try to get the details in. The best will I think is the one that says, being of sound mind, I spent it all. <laughs> that saves a lot of problems, uh, a lot of squabbles among heirs. Fortunately, the squabbles you hear about are usually the exception rather than the rule. You just hear about them. Most estates go fine without much trouble. I might, uh, before I start, though, turn your attention to Numbers chapter 27. I can't pronounce all the words in that first verse, but I think I can get the substance across. You know, the there are a lot of places in the Bible that refer to the inheritance going just to the firstborn, firstborn son in particular. And even when this country started, some of our states uh, carried over the old English common law of primogenitor, which that the first son inherited everything. And 
fortunately for the ladies, that's not the case in any state now that I know of. It's certainly not the case here. But that was a problem for some of the people of Moses. Then came the daughters of Zelophead, the son of Hepner, the son of Gilead, the son of Mancher, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and I guess that's Hogla, that's the original Miss Piggy, I guess, <laughs> and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the princes of all the congregation, and by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no son. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son? Give us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophead speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren, and so on. Back in Moses' day, it was set up and brought down to us in chapter 27 of Numbers, a law of intestate succession. And it's similar in many respects to what we have in Missouri today. Now, wills. Some interesting questions on this true false, but I'll wait till the end and try to answer those questions for you and see how you did. But what what do you think of when you think of wills? What is a will? Last will and testament. What happens to your possessions if you don't have a deal? Does the state come in with the social worker and pick up your kids and your possessions? Okay. Try to answer some of those questions as we go along. There are several basic ways that you can dispose of your property at your death. The will is one way. Another way is by gift or deed during your lifetime. A deed with regard to real property. Just an outright gift with regard to personal property. You don't have to wait till you die. Or you can deed your property to someone and retain a life estate. The right to live in the house and live upon the property and so forth during your lifetime. Another method which we won't go into in any detail is a trust, which is sounds a little more complicated, but really isn't, where you convey your property either during your lifetime or at your death 
to someone or some entity, such as a trust company, to handle your property for you and to disperse it in accordance with your written instructions. That can be done during your lifetime or it can be done at your death or a combination of those. Another commonly used method here in Missouri is joint ownership with right of survivorship. In many states, a conveyance to a husband and wife creates either a community property situation or a tenancy in common, meaning the husband owns half, the wife owns half. The husband dies, his half goes a certain way. Here in Missouri, conveyance to a husband and wife of real or personal property, unless you specify otherwise, is what's called a tenancy by the entirety. And that means that on the death of one, that property passes automatically to the surviving spouse operational law without anything further. This is the way it is with probably most of you. Everything you have is made to husband and wife, or most of what you have. And with most estates, this is a good way to do it. There are some federal estate tax considerations which might make it a bad way to do it, which I'll touch upon briefly here in just a minute. But that's a simple way, and the best way, because when we talk about wills here, we're talking about property owned in the name of the decedent. So you have to keep in mind that if it's a husband-wife situation, and say here, Donald and Daisy Duck, and we're assuming that they've gotten married and that they've adopted Huey, Dewey, and Louie as well. To make it fit, I've taken a little license with their relationships. But if Donald died and had everything jointly, and I'm speaking just about Missouri because I, I don't know the laws of other states on this, then if everything's joint, it goes to Daisy. So the will we're talking about applies to property that's just in Donald's name and isn't in that type of joint ownership. Or you can assume the situation where he's the only survivor, his wife is predeceased. Now, if you don't make a will, your law will descend in accordance with the statutes. It will go to who the it will go to the persons that the statutes of the state of Missouri give it to. Now, our statute has been changed recently. We had some substantial probate law changes in 1980 that went into effect. Uh, as of January 1 of 1981. And basically they're this. All property to which any decedent dies in testate, that means without a will, will be distributed as follows. The surviving spouse shall receive the entire estate if there is no surviving issue or parent, meaning, meaning no children, grandchildren, or no parent of the deceased, which is different from what, uh, well, that, that part's not different, but I'll get to some of it is. The first $20,000 in value of the intestate estate, plus one half of the balance of the intestate estate, if there is no surviving issue, but the decedent is survived by one or both parents. The first $20,000 in 
the value of the intestate state plus one half of the balance if there are surviving issue, all of whom are also issue of the surviving spouse. Finally, one half of the intestate estate if there are surviving issue, one or more of whom are not the issue of the surviving spouse. Basically, it means that she, the spouse will get half of some situations where she gets an extra $20,000. Basically, she gets half if your will does not provide otherwise. And she gets the entire estate if there are no surviving issue or parent of the seed. Now, the part not distributable to the surviving spouse, which would mean all of it if there is no surviving spouse, or half of it, basically, if there is, shall go to the decedent's children or their descendants in equal parts. If there are no children or their descendants, then the father, mother, brothers, and sisters and their descendants in equal parts. And then it goes on down getting to the further distant relation. And if you have no relation within the required degree of the statute, then it would go to the state. Would eschew the state. I've never seen that happen. That's a very uncommon situation. Generally, someone who has no close relatives does make a will. Theory is that all of the property came from the state originally. At least that's true with regard to the real estate. All of the real estate was conveyed first by the federal government and uh, in some instances then by the state government. Some of it was deeded directly by the federal government, some from the federal government to the state, but all of it comes from one or the other. And if you don't have relation within a very close degree of blood kin, well then your estate would cheap to the state. But that's not one of the primary reasons, obviously, for making a will, because that situation won't apply to very many people. There are some other reasons for making a will. To have a valid will, to answer some of the questions in your little test, it has to be, in Missouri, it has to be in writing, and it has to be witnessed by at least two people. If it's, there's one witness, it's just not enough. Now, that may seem a formality, and it may be, but that's the law in most states. Some states require three. Missouri requires two, and it does have to be in writing. There's only one exception to that in Missouri law, and that is a will that's made by a person who's in imminent peril of dying. He can make it orally and tell it to someone, at least two witnesses, though. And they've got to later write it down, and it, it, it can only dispose of up to $1,500 worth of property. So, in essence, you have to have it in writing and sign up your witnesses if you want your property to go to personal will. A lot of people come in and ask me, well, what if I write it down, what I want everybody to have, and put it somewhere at home or give it to someone? That is good to give the children guidance, but it's not legally binding unless it is incorporated in the will and referred to in person has to be 18 years of, old, of age to make the will and of sound mind. 
sound mind doesn't mean they have to be the brightest person in the world or as bright as they used to be. They just have to know who their heirs are and what their assets consist of, and they can give it to they want to. They don't have to give it to their children, although it's rare for them not to. Uh, they don't have to give it to their heirs. They can give it to their next door neighbor, or they can give it to the man down the street, or to charity, or just to whoever they want to. They cannot omit a child, however, unless they specifically do so in the will. And there's a provision for children who are born after a will is executed. They will be considered as heirs just like the other children. Now, we'll go down Donna's will, and I think that will bring up most of the questions you might have. If any time you have any questions, just raise your hand and go ahead and ask them as we go down it. Article 1 is a standard provision. It doesn't actually have to be there because your taxes will have to be paid, of course. And the thing about expenses, though, it's good to have that in there because otherwise if the creditor doesn't file his claim within six months, why, he could be lost out. This does allow your personal representative to pay all just debts and expenses and uh, funeral bills and things of that nature. Some people in their wills put a provision about their funeral or how their bodies to be disposed of, and Donald has done that here. I did have a person at one time state to me that he wanted his ashes to be spread over the Ozark Mountains. But it's difficult to enforce this in a will because generally your, your will doesn't really get much attention until after the funeral, of course. Everybody is, nobody generally is too concerned about the will until, until uh, after the funeral and because generally there's a lot of grieving. In some situations, you will have people who are concerned about it. Sometimes it's out of greed, other times it's out of just concern because he, there's some business that was unattended to and so forth. But your best funeral arrangements are made in the manner that I suppose Gary Stump, is he going to speak here too? Because the will is really not a good place to have that done. Yes,
his case, offhand, I don't know, the, the spouse has authority and, and the legal heirs, if there's no one, the public administrator probably could have authority to dispose of both. It's a practical matter if there's Well, if he could dispose of them as a practical matter, there'd be no one to complain about it. That's the way it should be. It should be before the marriage because it's much harder to get it done afterwards. And yes, they both have to sign it. They both have to divulge in it to each other what their assets are. They both have to be advised about the legal consequences of it and know what they're giving up. And well. Where those are needed, of course, is generally in a second marriage, and I have you do see some injustices every now and then. Say you have a man and woman who both have children, and they get married a second time. Their spouses are deceased, and 
then if they put everything in joint names, especially then, uh, and say uh, he passes away, then everything goes to her. And if she doesn't provide otherwise by will or, or by deed, then it goes to her heirs, which would be her children. It would not go to his heirs and vice versa. And this is the situation that really creates some injustices. You can have something a man's work maybe, or a woman, 50 years for, and it all goes to to his second spouse's children. That's where those agreements are really nice. And a lot of times they will say that uh, the spouse can take a third or something, but uh, not, uh, not a full share. Mm-hmm. This. Uh, now, if Daisy fails to survive him, he gives, uh, and, and one is Mickey Mouse watch to Goofy. Now, otherwise, Goofy wouldn't get the watch. If you have specific items you want to give to specific people, in or outside the family, Will's the place to do it. The rest, residue, and remainder, that would mean any property that he had, besides the watch, would go to the three children equally. Adopted children would take just as uh, natural children. They're the same for all legal purposes. And in this case, if one of them was deceased, their ducks would take uh, their one-third share. And if they didn't have any, it would go to the other two. Now, in three, this is very abbreviated, and in a will, it's not, can't be done quite that briefly. But you can designate a guardian for any minor children. This is one of the main benefits, I would say, of a will. You generally need a will more when you're young and have children, young children, than you do when you're old. It usually works the other way around as you get older, way you think about a will but you really need them more when you're younger. You can designate a person to have custody of the children and a person to have charge of their property. They can be the same or they can be different persons. Now, at this point, you could also set up a trust. Thanks to Martin Stokes for providing such an interesting journey into the past. DaleWileyShow.com